taking you inside the Tasmanian tennis community. Welcome to Tassie Talk. In this episode of Tassie Talk, we meet Tasmanian brothers Paul McPherson and David McPherson, who have each achieved outstanding success in their respective careers in the tennis industry. Paul, who started as a journalist following his late father's footsteps at the Examiner newspaper in Launceston to becoming the managing editor of digital marketing on the ATP Tour. And David McPherson, number 11 in the world, his highest ranking in doubles, turned his attention to coaching and took the Bryan brothers to become the most successful doubles pair in the history of the game. And also, the amazing story of his influence on Roger Federer in the Davis Cup final that saw Switzerland create history back in 2014. This is Tassie Talk. Well, it's wonderful to welcome back home to Launceston, Tasmania, a man who has had uh, an incredible career playing-wise and also coaching-wise. Welcome home, David McPherson. Thank you, Rick. It's always just magical to be home. The weather always seems to turn on its best for me when I get off at Lonnie Airport. So this year has been no exception. Wonderful. And it's been obviously a big year for you personally, and we'll get to that shortly. But tennis for David McPherson, obviously a brother and a sister, heavily involved in tennis as well. Where did it all start for, for you? Gosh, I, I suppose that I, as a really little tyke, I would just follow mum and dad down to Hart Street or wherever they would be playing their tournaments and I would watch them play and I just fell in love with the game from probably three or four years old and uh, I must have got my hands on a racket and I used to just play imaginary games against the wall down at Hart Street, uh, pretending I was... Rod Laver or Ken Rosewell or whoever the best players were, I suppose, back in the early 70s. Uh, and then eventually played a junior tournament when I was five or six. And then, yeah, my life changed when I was about 12 or 13. I won a little Davis Cup competition. Uh, one representative from all the states uh, congregated at White City uh, when the Davis Cup tie was being played. And um, so to win that right at the same time as Tony Roach was putting together a sort of a squad of five or six boys from around Australia that he was going to coach post-retirement. I was sort of, yeah, just the timing was perfect. And then I went off to boarding school and, and tennis was my life after that. How difficult was that as a, as a young boy in suburban Newstead, used to the, the Hart Street Tennis Centre, to then pretty quickly have this pathway before you that, that allowed you to, to live a dream? Were there challenges? Absolutely. I Well, we were living in Deloraine at the time that happened and I can still remember sort of just playing imaginary football out in the backyard and mum and dad came up to me and said, well, you've been picked, um, so what do you think? Are you ready to go to boarding school in Sydney and, and be a tennis player? And, of course, there was no deci- no decision. It was my life's dream, but it was not without challenges. Going to boarding school was... From coming from Tasmania, I was it took a bit of an adjustment period, uh, but yeah, after a month or two, I got used to the to the flow of that, and yeah, but that was my life. And your career obviously flourished, particularly in your doubles career, the highest ranking of number eleven in the world. You won sixteen titles and also a, a semi final at the Australian Open back in '98, where you were beaten by the Woodies, I think, uh, in in that particular year. But what what were your memories of of particularly playing at your your home Australian Open, but life on the international tour? Yeah, that Aussie Open was, uh, gosh, that was the, my best result at a Grand Slam to make the semis with David Wheaton, who I think I was just a pickup team. I, 
I was very lucky to play with him. He was a top 10 singles player. I don't know why he wanted to play doubles with me, but uh, we had some great wins and uh, I lost to the Woodies probably for the 22nd time of my career in the semis. Indian Wells of 92 was one of my fondest memories. My partner Steve DeVries and I were able to win that. So, And that's become such an iconic tournament. So it's sort of nice to see your name on the board or whatever at Indian Wells. You know, gosh, you won that, Macca? <laughs> John used to t- make fun of me, John Isner. And I was like, yeah, yeah, you know, I, I played a fair game back in the day. <laughs> What was life like on the tour? Because, as you said, little boys, little girls, they dream of doing it. What was it like being on the tour? Well, it was a tough slog because I I didn't end up being anywhere near as good as I thought I was going to be. When I was a junior, I was uh, successful. But, of course, you get out there in the big pond and it was a tough slog. I didn't do very well in singles, but fortunately I found uh, my home on the doubles tour. After that, once I'd established myself in the top 20 or 30 in, in the world in doubles, it was a great life. I mean, you know, playing all the big tournaments and all the grand slams and had three or four really enjoyable partnerships with different blokes. So, um, yeah, but I, I didn't play by today's standards that long. I retired at age 35 and um, just to be home with my two daughters and, uh, yeah, just got into coaching after that. That transition into into coaching, you coached from 2005 until covid the greatest doubles pair of all time in Mike and Bob Bryan. How did that come about? Well, I'd played them four times. They actually put me out in my last Wimbledon. Andrew Florent and I lost to them in the quarters of Wimbledon in 2002. And then I became just a coach in my home city of Sarasota where we were raising the kids. But then there's a thing called World Team Tennis that used to be played every July. And so even though I'd retired from the regular tour, I was still a member of the Kansas City team, the Kansas City team of the Explorers we were. And uh, so I was playing doubles and Mike and Bob were our marquee players. So that's where, you know, top players like the Williams sisters or the Bryan brothers would come in for a team and play for a couple of matches so I rode the pine while they were playing and uh, I just remember we had a rain delay in St. Louis one night and they were down a break to Ehrlich and Ram and uh, they came in, they were a bit frustrated and I just sort of had noticed something. So I said to him, oh, Mike, you got to hit some returns down the line there. You know, they're on the cross court, all, you know, the whole time and, and I guess that must have worked that particular night and they came back and got a win and next thing you know, their dad's coming up to me on the flight the next day and saying, you know, would you be interested in traveling with Mike and Bob for a few weeks through the US Open of 2005 and I was like oh absolutely let's give it a go and of course they won their first US Open that year so we were off and running right away. It's incredible how things work sometimes isn't it just that little bit of advice and then uh, on a flight so dad comes down the aisle and says hey David we picked up something. It was just it was just meant to be I suppose Mm. they had already established themselves as the top or the the top two teams in the world but they'd lost all three Grand Slam finals uh, that year the finals of the Aussie the finals Mm. of the French the finals of Wimbledon so they had a bit of a gorilla on their back in that respect so you can imagine how nervous I was when they did get through to the finals of the US Open of 2005 and I wanted to you know try and help make a difference to get them over the hump and uh, just everything that day worked out to perfection yeah. uh, and uh, and then after that they had so much confidence in Grand Slam finals they went and won the Australian Open final right after that and their first Wimbledon the next year so yeah there were there were obviously ups and downs and trials and tribulations but overall 
they were just incredible. They were so clutch and, and, and they won so many, much more than they lost. They did indeed. Probably don't like to, uh, to pump yourself up too much, so I'm going to read a quote. I actually saw this in uh, Dennis Tucker's Tennis Museum, actually, with uh, something up there, but this is from the Bryans, a quote from them. Thanks for always being there for us, Macca. Without you, there'd be no slams, no records, and definitely no gold, referring to the Olympics in, in London. It's been an incredible ride. That is quite something to come from them to uh, with, with how they held you and, and saw you for what you have done for, for their career. You must be incredibly proud. Yeah, we're so close still, so it's really nice. <laughs> when you're in the thick of it, of course, uh, they were such intense competitors. Gosh, I mean, every day, you know, you had to bring your game face to the courts because they were so intense. They'd be the equivalent of perhaps how Novak is now, uh, where they winning was everything. So, But at the end of the day, um, you know, we're lifelong friends and uh, they appreciated that I tried to match their intensity as best I could like I really took a lot of pride in studying as hard as I could for the opponents and just making sure that every practice I was totally switched on and uh, of course they would have they would have done amazing things without me they'd obviously being nice there but uh, I think that uh, yeah I am proud that I was able to be worthy of their loyalty for 15 years for sure. Now another significant moment uh, almost nine years ago now it's hard to believe but you were asked by Switzerland to to help them seeking their very first Davis Cup final title over France in France. How did that come about? Because obviously you had a significant role to play in a critical a tie between obviously Vavrinka and and Roger against uh, Benito and Gasquet, which uh, the Swiss won in straight sets. But how did the role come about? Firstly, oh, just another little mini miracle. Uh, I think Roger was coming out to practice on a court that. Mike and Bob and I had just finished up on and Seve, the Swiss coach and his coach just sort of said, oh, I'd like to pick your brain, Macca, about the possibility of the doubles point. And I think it was Mike just piped up. He said, oh, you should take him to the tie. And so Seve looked at me and he said, well, is that a possibility? And I was like, well, if Roger would like me to, I, I'm not, of course. I mean, whatever Roger wants, uh, that would be of course, great with me. And so Seve must have taken it to Rog that night. And Rog, because they'd actually, he and Stan had had a tough year in doubles. They'd lost all their doubles ties that year. Amazingly, they'd lost mm. all three despite winning all the singles. So I think that just, it was a little miracle. They wanted a little um, guidance on the doubles point. And uh, so it all just happened very organically. Two weeks before, uh, that was at the Paris Indoor. We firmed yes. things up at the World Tour Finals. And then... When Roger uh, and Stan and Seve finished up in London at the World Tour Finals, I got on a train with Seve and Stan and uh, went over to France on the, on the channel. What was that moment like? Because obviously for Switzerland it was a great moment in their tennis history as a nation. What was that moment like? I suppose I was as nervous before that match as any match perhaps alongside the gold medal game for Mike and Bob, just not wanting to let anyone down. So the feeling when they played so well and they won convincingly was more just of relief than, than euphoria. It was just like, thank God I didn't let Roger down. <laughs> and uh, I've got a great memory of him being so bubbly and excited after the match, just uh, in the locker room, mm. uh, you know, I think we, <laughs> he just came in and, you know, everyone was just having a shower and, uh, you know, just winding down and he was like, oh, he goes, I never realised doubles could be so strategical or something like that, you know, because everything that we sort of talked about for the tactics sort of fell into place. And just to have, you know, Roger Federer be so bubbly and 
sort of like grateful was just amazing. I can still, you know, hear him saying that was sort of such joy in his voice. So that was pretty cool. Absolutely. With the coaching, transitioned obviously into a, a, a few years with, with John Isner as well, who's just recently retired, of course, after the, after the US Open. Did you enjoy that role? And I guess the, the difference strategically from uh, doubles and dealing with someone who's, who's had such a successful singles career particularly in the I guess the latter stages of his career as well a lot of people remember that uh, incredible Wimbledon singles match with uh, Mahout but in terms of where John's game went to really seemed to lift him a lot in the period that you were with him. It was a little bit of an adjustment uh, singles and doubles such different uh, games tactically but uh, yeah we, we bonded you know we've become lifelong friends too we were a great fit for each other I think with our personalities so much in common and then I was especially in 2018 able to get a lot out of him uh, winning Miami over Sasha in the finals and uh, beating Del Otro in the semis uh, that was two incredible matches that he played in Miami to win that Masters series because as we know you know normally only the great players win these Masters series so that was a big moment in John's life and then semis of Wimbledon even though it ended in such pain I think losing 26-24 to Kevin Anderson run to the semi-finals and the match itself was pretty extraordinary so yeah no that my time with John was you know, full of just um, enjoyment and um, you know much different to Mike and Bob Mike and Bob were obviously uh the greatest uh, and so intense every day. John, a little bit more laid back, a very fierce competitor when it was time to play. Very fierce, but uh, a little bit less fixated with the details that Mike and Bob were each day in practice. So it was a really amazing seven years or whatever. So David, the US Open has just uh, just finished in the last couple of weeks. What's next for David McPherson? Well, I am very proud to be the co-director of the No Quit Tennis Academy in Las Vegas where uh, we really do a lot of good work there. We have about 40 or 50 children, a lot of them on scholarship for um, less fortunate families and the goal is that we uh, provide a tennis and life education for them there to help them get into college and change their lives for the better. So that's my primary job right now going into 2024. I'm really proud to be a part of that and then um, I believe I'm also going to do some tour work. Young doubles team have approached me. Uh, uh, Nate Lamons and Jackson Winthrow would like me to get back in the doubles pool and, and help them, perhaps at the Australian Open and going on. So hopefully I'll have a couple of really fun projects. Sounds amazing. And while you're back here in uh, at, at home, um, the old Hart Street Tennis Court might see you venture onto the court just for uh, for old time's sake and a little bit of a hit. I think we'll, we'll be going down there. Um, and uh, yes, last time I was there, of course, playing with Dad, we... Played an old court seven, which used to be yellow, the slipperiest yellow oh, yes. clay court in the I history do remember that court. of tennis. It's probably not yellow clay now, I'm a bit <laughs> blank, but I'll never forget, because I spent so much time at Hart Street, court seven was so slippery and it was the only yellow clay court of the batch. Mm. You know, court, you were always such a treat if you got on court one or, you know, on the red onto car. Um but I can remember so many junior matches from all those courts. Court three was a good court. They had a bit of viewing area on court three. Dad and I did a lot of work on court eight, although I think they called it court A, not eight. It should have been eight. I think Hart Street (laughs) decided that eight was going to be A. I don't know why. uh, But Dad and I did a lot of work when I'd come back from Sydney on court A. So, yeah, it'll be a a nostalgic trip down there. There's a few townhouses there, sadly, now in in, in that area of uh, where some of the courts used to be, but uh, I know it'll be a, a lovely 
trip down memory lane. Uh, David McPherson, congratulations on what you've done in tennis, obviously from junior days to what you're still doing now, and I hope everything goes well with uh, with Las Vegas as well. It's a fantastic thing, but lovely to have you back home, and thank you for being a guest with us today. Thank you, Rick. Well, continuing the family theme, my next guest is Paul McPherson, who... Uh, He's here with his brother in Tasmania, spending a bit of time at home with mum, Marilyn. Uh, Paul, welcome. It's great to see you again. I think the last time we we caught uh, we caught up was obviously a very sad time for the family following uh, your, your dad's passing almost a year ago. So it, it must be uh, sort of mixed emotions being being back home. It's always nice to get back to, to Launceston, Rick, and thanks for having me. And very special this time to be back with... Uh, with David, and uh, even though Dad's not with us, we've been going for a few walks through the Cataract Gorge, which I recommend to everyone to check that out. That was a place where Dad used to go for his daily walks, and he'd have his little sit-down spots. So uh, reminiscing there, and you know, he, he's still watching, watching us. And wonderful, your tennis history similar to to, to David, I guess as well. You, you've grown up with tennis in in the family. So, wh- what what are your earliest memories in terms of being involved in? In the, in the beautiful sport of tennis? Well, I think the only similarities I have with tennis and my brother is that we both would play with a racket in our hands. <laughs> uh, he was significantly better than I was, and uh, after Dad turned him into one of the, the country's elite uh, junior prospects, Dad turned his attention to me with not quite the same level of success, but to your question about earliest memories, it would probably be getting out onto the uh, the courts at Deloraine where you had the uh, the choice of the uh, slippery yellow clay or the better not fall on it bitumen. So I spent a lot of time down there. He'd get me out uh, from school during the lunch hour, actually, uh, during the winter months when we didn't have much light. And we'd go down there with a the big basket of balls. And I enjoyed it. It was great great way to bond with your your parent like that and you know I, I got to a decent standard but was never going to be a professional like my my brother was so they were my earliest memories beautiful and, and I guess in winter out at Deloraine there would have been some some pretty chilly mornings out on the on the courts that you, you certainly wouldn't want to fall on them out there true but you know if you're out there during lunch it might be up to four or okay. five degrees so you know quite comfortable very comfortable uh, your dad obviously had a, a long career in, in journalism with, with The Examiner, the, the local newspaper in, in Launceston. Your career has seen you take a, a similar path. You had five years at The Examiner and then how important was that period for you in, in what, how your career has now turned out in, in tennis? Very important. I don't think where I would, uh, I'd be where I am today without starting at The Examiner and it was some of the, the happiest times of my life. I used to love you know, going to the cricket or the footy at the weekend and Writing, uh, writing those stories up. I work with some great people, so really, really enjoyed my time with the Examiner. And yeah, in terms of influence of uh, of my father, that I guess I merged uh, a couple of his great uh, uh, talents uh, that he had. Uh, one was for writing, and the other was for for tennis. And that you know, combining those two uh, have got me to exactly uh, my career path today. So I'm very, very thankful for that. Spoke about David's talent and where he got to in in, in tennis from a a playing and and later coaching perspective. But for you to be directly involved in a sport that you love, that the family loves, um, how wonderful has that been and continues to be for you? Because you also spent time uh, before heading to the U.S., 
as editor of the Australian Tennis Magazine for around four or so years. But how wonderful has it been to be able to be part of the tennis world? Oh, it's a, it's an absolute blessing, you know, to work in a field that is your passion uh, and your hobby. Then it's not really work; it's just getting paid for for doing something that you you really love, and it uh, gives us that tight connection within the family as well because. Uh, I've always got something to talk to to mum about or David or my my sister who was heavily involved in tennis as well and of course dad when he was alive so it it really has been a a life journey for for the entire family. And what's life for for Paul McPherson now professionally working as a managing managing editor at Digital Marketing on the ATP Tour what what does that involve for you? well, how it's different, I think you're asking, was that it's a, it's a lot hotter over there in Florida than it uh, than it is here in 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 Tassie, but it's uh, it's a great challenge and, and still very much in enjoying it. So, uh, one of my key roles is to manage a team of uh, writers and editors around the world, and we cover the uh, the ATP Tour. Um, primarily, our, our primary focus is ATPTour.com, the website, but we run some other websites so uh, you know the interaction with the players when you're going out on site and, and interviewing them and, and writing features as well as the day-to-day coverage to to keep the the website tick, ticking over with match results and previews etc it's uh, it's a lot of fun and um, yeah ho- hopefully we'll be, be still doing that for years to come in terms of the families you mentioned obviously uh, Carol as well is involved in tennis you all live over in in, in the US so it must be lovely when uh, I mean I know it's just the two of you here, but to, to come back home to Tasmania, how important is that, I guess, as we've got that sort of end of tennis season for a period of time, but for you to be able to just get away from that all, because I know you, you love your hiking as well, so there'll be a bit of time for that for you here? Exactly. January, December, January is a great time because typically I'll come back, have some vacation time, uh, disappear into the beautiful Tasmanian wilderness for a few days and then get uh, get back to, to business uh, this year with the, the United Cup and then we'll have uh, the, the Aussie Open, so uh, really enjoy those events. Uh, but as much as we live uh, love living in uh, the States, all three of us actually have pretty strong hopes of returning to live in Tasmania at some point, whether that's for retirement or during retirement. Uh, my two daughters who were born in the States and have dual citizenship, they have both moved back here to pursue their careers. So it, it Tassie tugs at the, the heartstrings still and it's just such a wonderful place. And listen, in, in this era of uh, global warming, a lot of places that aren't, you know, good long-term prospects to live, but I would think Tassie uh, will be a good place to, to live wherever the uh, we find ourselves in, in future years. And as you reflect on tennis and, and where it is now and, and from, from where it was when your career, I guess, began in terms of writing for tennis and being involved in tennis, what, what have been some of the big, I guess, or maybe a, a major change that you've seen in, in the way players interact with, with the media in terms of that? Because it is such a big part of everyone, readers, viewers want things instantly so with with the technology that we've got is, is that the biggest change that you've seen well i'd say you know social media because the players themselves with their own cha- uh, channels now have bigger audiences uh, than many of the the media outlets who are who are covering them so that's one thing that we do do at the atp is that we try to partner with the players 
Uh, we're now producing content specifically for player channels beyond even just producing content for our own channels and then saying to a player, would you like to syndicate this on your own channels? We're actively working with them and saying, what are the, the narratives that you want to be driving and can we help uh, deliver against those and produce some content for you to, to get out to your, uh, to your audience because uh, you know, some of these uh, audiences are massive. And, uh, and I think one other big change is just how uh, social media has, has opened up the, 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 the off-court lives of the, the players where fans now can get a really good insight into how they are off the court, what their passions and interests are, where maybe 20 years ago uh, there was a bit more uh, mystique around the sure. players. We didn't know them as well. No. I hope you really enjoy your time down here in Tasmania and it would be wonderful to have, uh, I guess, the, the whole family back. I think Mum would love that too. Just on Mum, uh, her influence in tennis but also on some of the uh, incredible uh, baking skills that she has because I know with the Launceston Tennis International uh, happened on a, probably a, she's just in the back corner watching this too, I know, but I remember the magnificent cakes that we used to have delivered down to the uh, Launceston International. Um, have you been able to pick up her culinary skills as well are you are you good at the baking side of things well it depends who you ask if you ask my wife it's probably a negative yes uh, i'm more a, a meat and potatoes kind of cook yes mum loves her, her cooking and uh, i think those little you know uh, gatherings after a bit of uh, city and suburban pennant or whatever it might be called nowadays that's you know, uh, just as critical as uh, as the kind of tennis balls you bring so uh, yes that's uh, that's something she's always had a, a skill for. Triggered a great memory of the city and suburban days. Gosh, the years I played at uh, Trevallon and the afternoon teas, you always had a bit of a look as to when you had an away game with some of the clubs that actually had the great afternoon teas, one of the highlights of the season. <laughs> and might have, some might have had a reputation for not being quite as uh, accommodating with the afternoon teas as well. So. That's right. <laughs> You'd go back to your club pretty quickly. So, um, Paul, wonderful to, uh, to see you. Enjoy your hiking here on the spectacular weather that we've seen to have at the moment uh, with the spring but lovely to catch up with you appreciate your time and congratulations on everything you're doing with the with the atp and in the tennis world thanks very much rick great to see you the first serve is your home of tennis at the first log on to find out all the details of our live radio show other podcasts read weekly features by our team of writers and follow us on social media facebook twitter instagram tiktok and subscribe to our YouTube channel.